All right, all right. How are we doing tonight, everyone? Welcome to Journey the Church here on Wednesday nights. Make sure you're sitting at a table with some other people. If no one's at your table, you might want to move or something. I don't know. So grateful that you're here tonight. Very grateful. I know there's so many other places you could be on a Wednesday night. But you're here. So we're grateful that you're here. We doing all right? I know it's like almost summer, Mother's Day, graduations, a lot of stuff is happening. Uh, phenomenal job by the worship team tonight. And give yourself a round of applause too because you're part of that worship. And then Matthew Perez bringing that heartfelt communion tonight. We're very grateful. A lot of, a lot of talent here at Journey of the Church. And uh, I'm just blown away by the love that I experience. Every time I walk in through the doors, people are open and inviting. So we're grateful for that. Thanks for making this a, a safe, fun place to worship God. So hey, let's, let's begin by doing a little activity tonight. I want you to close your eyes. No one's going to steal your purse or take your wallet or anything like that. Remember, this is a safe environment. I want you just to close your eyes and have a little heart-to-heart -heart here. How, how are things going? Like, really? Like what's weighing you down? What's troubling your spirit? What's making you worry or anxious? What's making you frustrated or lazy and apathetic? And I think so often when we're confronted with the burdening things of life, it causes us to think, is this it? Like this feeling with my eyes closed, where's God? You know, when I close my eyes, it's lonely, empty, darkness. Is this it? All I see is black, darkness. Is this what it's like after death? Sleepy, black, darkness. Non-existence, nothingness. But may we be encouraged by the words of Paul from last week's message from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. Go ahead and open your eyes, and I invite you to stand if you're able to stand. 
as we read from the first line of our text tonight, the first verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. It continues with this heavenly mindset. It says, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that when we close our eyes and when we see this black darkness in front of us, that this is not our future for those who claim Jesus as Lord and Savior. But as we will uncover in this text tonight, that the future that awaits us is glorious, it's marvelous, it's bodily, resurrected life with you, the creator of all. You are the one that we desire most. You're what we want, God. So if we've gotten confused along the way by pursuing other things, Would you straighten us out, we pray? Because you are everything our hearts desire. So rearrange us, we pray, God. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Go ahead, you can be seated. So Jesus, back in the Gospels, referred to his body as a temple, as a temple that he predicted would be torn down, but then God would raise up this temple. But as a tent maker, the apostle Paul compared the human body to a tent. Since God had raised up Jesus' temple, Paul believed that God would also raise up our tents. Well, the Apostle Paul does also later pick up this language of temple that refers to our bodies, but there's something interesting as we consider our bodies as tents. In the ancient times, the tent was a familiar symbol of what was transitory. I think of like the nomadic people groups throughout human history, like the Inuit people of the Arctic or the Bedouin clans of the Middle Eastern deserts, or even the Shawnee tribes of the North American plains. These people constructed, or they still construct today, temporary structures made of animal skins that are propped up with frames of bone or, or various wood. It's no permanent dwelling, though. It's transitory. You set it up, and it can be able to be torn back down and transported elsewhere. In a similar manner, our physical bodies are only temporary structures. God is preparing new bodies for us that are superior to anything that human hands could create or maintain. You know, it's rather strange talking about this passage tonight because just yesterday, my lovely wife, Tara, and I received the keys to our brand new home. Yeah, praise God. 
Um, but when I say brand new home, that just means it's brand new to us. It's certainly not brand new, like 1956. Uh, it needs a whole gut job. Everything needs to be torn down and redone, renovated. But we're stoked. We're excited. But in the whole process of searching for a home, it's been our prayer day one, that we would just be a blessing to everyone we come into contact with. And whatever houses we were looking at or putting offers in, that whoever received that home would be blessed and that it would be God's will that they would be blessed and experience the Lord's favor in that place. But it's also been our prayer the whole entire time that we ourselves would realize that whatever home we ended up in would be a temporary home. That we would understand this as, not that we're going to like flip homes or anything like that, but a temporary home because this structure that we just are now in a lot of debt for uh, is not our home. Even this structure, hands and teeth and hair and eyes and legs, a body, this is also a temporary structure. Sometimes these structures get taken home to God a little too soon, or too soon, it seems. I mean, we read on the news about our brothers and sisters in England who their lives were cut short, and it's tragic, and it's hard to see God's hand in it sometimes, but we realize that God is preparing a place, a place, an amazing place, an amazing bodies, the newness of God. So these structures we have, I mean, we put a lot of time and effort. Maybe you go to the gym, maybe you work out, maybe you like just already look great, and that's probably what's true. Uh, you just go with that. These are temporary bodies, but we will hear as this passage progresses how these temporary bodies, they kind of have some, some uh, malfunctions along the way. We know that when these bodies of ours, like tents, are taken down and folded and put away, they will be replaced by new resurrected bodies, God-made, not handmade. Verse 2 says, we grow weary in our present bodies. I mean, we are falling apart as each day passes, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. You know, the year I got married was the year I started dying. I'll say that again. <laughs> the year I got married was the year I started dying. Now that sounds incredibly harsh and insensitive, but it's actually true, at least biologically speaking. Let's talk about this. Croaking cells. Make sure you're paying attention right now because I'm not saying that I, I'm just talking about biologically right here. Croaking cells. In youth, during our growth period, that is up to about 18 years of age, the number of newly formed cells in our bodies outnumber dying cells. In young adulthood, from about 18 years of age to about 25, the number of newly formed cells balances the dying cells. But in aging, that is after 25 years of age, I was 25 when we got married, the number of newly formed cells is less than the number of cells that die. 
Aging is simply the process of your cells dying faster than they are being replaced or losing some of their function. So at age 25, our bodies have stopped producing and have started to die. Now, that's a sad thought. But if you've ever wondered, like, why do I keep getting these aches and pains? Well, your body is working against you. We grow weary in these present bodies of ours, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like brand new clothing. Now, I don't know if it's just a God. Let me just back up. Are we clear that, like, I didn't, what I was saying about my lovely wife? (laughs) On a cellular level, I was dying, but in every other way, I was getting an upgrade. You know what I'm talking about. All right. So I don't even know if this is just a guy thing. You might have to correct me, ladies. But guys, I know this is absolutely true for us. Guys may find a shirt or a sweatshirt or pants that just fit right, you know, and they feel good, they feel comfortable, and the style is not all that important. The cleanliness is not so much a factor, but it's all about comfort and sentimentality. I mean, guys, you're nodding your heads. I can tell you've got like those pair of shorts. They're probably like this high and they're just so comfortable or their pants or it's a sweatshirt or it's a t-shirt. I don't know what it might be, but it is so dear to your heart because man, I've had it for 14 years. It has holes. I don't even care. Well, I had a pair of pants. They started out as pants. And they were corduroy, and they were brown, and they were like the most comfortable pants I have ever owned. They were really inexpensive as well. And I wore these probably like five out of the seven days during the week. So, so comfortable. They lasted two trips trekking through Europe. And over the years, though, they were kind of getting less corduroy type of feel. They were getting more lightweight, a little bit see-through. The knees actually ripped out, and so the pants then became shorts. Uh, There was a name for these pants. They were called happy pants by uh, some of my family members, and they were awesome, but sadly, this last year, it was time to say goodbye. They had to go. And likewise, with our human bodies, as comfortable and as peculiar as they may be, we await something so much better. So let's do some table talk tonight. When it comes to the newness of heaven, what do you most long for? Ready, go. All right, well, everyone got quiet. We can uh, keep going. We'll bring it back together. But I want to hear... What uh, some of the things that you most long for? Of course, don't give me the junior high answer like Jesus, because uh, that's great. I mean, of course, that's like what we most long for is to be face to face with God. But uh, well, it sounds bad. But like, what else? You know? Uh, let's hear from. Uh, let's hear. From, oh, does anyone want to share? Or you can raise your hand. Yeah, Janet. Senior son. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, this table up here. What do you got? You guys didn't talk about the question? Yeah. Didn't talk about the question. All right. Uh, yeah. Pain-free. Yeah. Pain-free. 
Pain-free, yeah, I like that. No health issues, no, no trips to the doctors or dentists. Being able to fly like Superman. I, all right, well, that's what you most long for, I guess so. All right, one more right here. Veronica's got one. No worries. No worries. Okay, no worries about daily life. All right, last one, Judy. She's got her hand raised. She's ready to share. No emotional pain. And what was that last one? No drama? Is that what you said? No emotional pain. That's great. Well, verse 3 continues. It says, For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. Paul here, I really like this verse because he speaks about a bodily resurrection and eternity. That heaven is not some detached, airiness, spirituality. It's actually bodily. I believe it's something more physical and more spiritual than we have experienced in a physical or spiritual way thus far. It's not like we're ghosts just floating about. No, it's something more physical, more spiritual than we've ever experienced. Verse 4 says, While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. In other words, it's not that we just want to die and be done with it all. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies, check this out, will be swallowed up by life. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8, speaks about one of my favorite passages, God swallowing up death forever. It's an expression of destruction that death will be gobbled up for all time. This is what it says. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign, that means like all powerful Lord, will wipe away all tears. He will remove forever all insults and mockery against his land and people. The Lord has spoken. But check it out, what it says here in 2 Corinthians, that our dying bodies will be swallowed up by life, not in a way or manner of destruction, but of regeneration. Well, how is this possible? Verse 5 says, God himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. Well, how is the Holy Spirit a guarantee? Some translations say a down payment. How is the Holy Spirit a guarantee or a down payment of new bodies and this whole phenomenon of dying bodies being swallowed up? Well, let's just follow the logic here. New bodies, dying bodies swallowed up, and the Holy Spirit guarantee. So first we heard about dying bodies being swallowed up by life and the reality that God has prepared us for new bodies. And then thirdly, the guarantee of this new body or new life is the Holy Spirit because that's precisely what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He swallows up death. Right here, right now, I think it's begun. This Holy Spirit, it swallows up death in our lives. And as the Holy Spirit teaches us to die to ourselves and to live for Jesus, death is literally being swallowed up by life. 
verse 6 says, So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. But realizing and embracing our future hope, it gives us great confidence for the present. So we don't go around drooping our heads or dragging our feet. The cramped conditions here, they don't get us, get us down. They only remind us of these glorious, spacious living conditions ahead. Verse 7 says, For we live by believing and not by seeing. What does that mean? For we live by believing and not by seeing. Let's break it down a little bit with the Greek. For we live, the Greek is peripateo. It means to walk or to conduct our lives. So we walk or we live or we conduct our lives by believing. That Greek word is pistis. It means faith or belief. Or trust. So we live or we walk or we conduct our lives by faith or belief or trust and not by sight, idas, which means visible form or shape. It's what we trust in, it's what we have faith in but don't yet see. That's what keeps us going. Faith is the means by which we walk or by which we should walk. You know, a few ruts in the road or rocks in the path should not stop us. But let's talk about this. Let's break this down even further into our personal lives. How efficient are you at walking by faith? And then secondly, in what areas might you need to make improvements? And thirdly, how could you go about making such improvements? Ready, go. All right, let's finish the thought and we'll bring it back together again. And we'll continue here now with uh, verses eight through nine. It says, yes, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. No matter what, let's just make it our goal to please God. I mean, do you come to church sometimes and just think about, like, today, I just want to praise God? And I know a lot of you do. You're like, that's why you come to church. It's not about... Uh, hearing a message or, you know, hearing a great worship band, but it's about, like, I want to go and celebrate God and what he's doing in my life. That's what we should be doing, not just on Sundays and Wednesdays, and I know you're the type of person who does that all throughout your week. So let's continue that. Verse 10a, the first part of verse 10 says, for we must all stand. You could also translate that as appear or be revealed or be made known before Christ to be judged. Now that sounds kind of scary right there, but let's take a look at that. For we all must stand or appear or be revealed or be made known before Christ to be judged. A lot of your other translations mention this word bema, before his judgment seat. 
Well, this judgment seat, as you can see pictured here, it's actually in Corinth today. If you go and visit Corinth in Greece today, if you stop here, you'll, you'll be able to see the bema. What is a bema? It was a speaker's platform. It was a standard in nearly all Greco-Roman cities of the ancient world, often located in the agora, like the city center or the marketplace, the public square. The bema was a raised platform, kind of like this, but with steps and sometimes a seat. It was used by officials to address the audience, to address the people, to make announcements before the people, often over judicial matters like court cases and such. This Bema reference that Paul is making here in 2 Corinthians would have been really familiar to his first century readers. They would understand what he was talking about. And they would read this and they would think, oh, when we're hearing about Christ's Bema, this judgment seat, they'd think of their Roman governor sitting or standing on this Bema and this person would be hearing the case of the accused, and they would provide judgment. Well, let's read verse 10 in its entirety. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. This Greek word translated here as evil is phalos which really means worthless. So where we see evil, I would actually put worthless. We will have to account for both our worthwhile works and our worthless deeds when we stand before Jesus. Now, this is not, don't get me wrong here, this is not a judgment to determine whether we will enter heaven or not. That's based on faith alone in Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay. This is different. This is one to determine to what extent he will reward those who enter heaven. It's not that God will reward us for the worthwhile things and he will punish us for the worthless things that we did. He will rather reward us for the worthwhile things that we did and not reward us for the worthless things we did. The worthwhile things are those that contribute to the mission of God and also to his glory in the world, while the worthless deeds are those that make no contribution to the fulfillment of God's good purposes. I think of it like a commencement ceremony, what often has been called a graduation, minus the uncomfortable bleachers the noisy crowds, scorching heat, and that strawberry sunburn you get if you forgot to bring sunscreen. But at graduation, especially if you're the one who's graduating, there might be some feeling of maybe a little bit of remorse or maybe a little disappointment that maybe I could have worked a little bit harder. Maybe I could have worked harder or did a little bit better but you know what? At such an event like a, a graduation or a commencement ceremony, the emotion is overwhelmingly joy and not remorse. I mean, the graduates don't leave the auditorium weeping because they didn't earn better grades, right? 
They're just glad they're done. No more tests, no more papers, none of that. Instead, they're thankful that they've graduated and they're grateful for what they've achieved. That's what this is talking about here. There's a lot of newness that awaits us, and I'm so excited about it. You know, when we think about heaven, sometimes people think, well, your mind is just up in the clouds and you're, you're lost, you're detached from an earthly experience. But I've found that the people who think more about heaven actually contribute more to the goodness of earth. And so would we be people who are heavenly minded, who would realize that this newness awaits us if we claim Jesus and walk by faith, not by sight. And you may say, man, I just don't see God working at all in my life. It's like this feeling when I have my eyes closed and all I see is darkness. I don't see God. I don't experience God anywhere. Well, you know what I would say? Keep walking by faith and God will show up. God will meet you. He'll show up in the craziest ways. What I want you to do is I want you to turn to the people around you. Give them a good look, an awkward look, you know. Sometimes we don't get awkward enough with people. I don't know. I just wanted you to look at the people around you. I honestly had no purpose in doing that. Just... But seriously, let's get awkward with people in our love. Let's get awkward with people in our love and the way that we love them and the, the distance that we go for them. I mean, I'll tell you what, there have been a couple of people who have left Journey the Church because people love them too much. And not in like creepy ways. Not in creepy ways. That's not what we're trying to do. But they felt uncomfortable because they were so overwhelmingly welcomed a journey. But that means we have to be consistent. We have to sustain these behaviors. It's great for maybe we're coming up on year seven. It's great to, to have a good run for seven years and then we are settled in the community center. We're really, you know, we're doing really well. We, we are, are growing, we're changing, whatever. We're, we're transforming. All of that good stuff is happening. It would be a shame if it stopped at year seven that we stopped welcoming people, that we got content, that we got lethargic and apathetic. Let's not do that. Let's be people who continue to walk by faith. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for the newness that awaits us and the newness that you're actually doing in our lives right now. And Lord, as we open up our, our minds and our hearts to your word, as we pour over scripture and we see you come alive in our lives. We ask for more of it. We ask that you would continue to shape us and transform us, that you would reveal yourself to us even more, that we would fall more deeply in love with you. And Lord, sometimes in our lives, we don't know what you're doing. We don't see you. We don't understand it, but Lord, give us the ability to have faith, to have perseverance and strength. We love you, and we are so grateful for what you're doing. I thank you for these people here tonight, Lord, and you know each and every one. You know the struggles that each of us face. 
You know the doubts we have, the fears, the anxieties. But Lord, I pray you would meet each and every one of us tonight, right where we're at, that you would speak to our hearts and remind us that we are loved, that we are cared for. And I praise you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I give you one, one last thing? One last bit of homework tonight. I know we just talked about uh, commencement and graduation. Um, today I talked to some high schoolers about suicide, actually. And I don't mean to be a downer right now, but I, I encouraged them as we walked through Psalm 139. Psalm 139 reminds us of who we are and how God loves us. And so that's your homework tonight. I want you to read Psalm 139. At some point, you can do it right now. You can do it with the people around you. You can just, just pour over Psalm 139 and let God speak to you. All right? Thanks so much, everybody, and we'll see you on Sunday.